When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into episode 140 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Well, the home streak has come to an end. The Bruins are 14-0-1. They lose to the Vegas Golden Knights 4-3 in a shootout. That means, yes, old friend Bruce Cassidy and company were the ones to poetically end the hottest home streak in league history. So, guys, I'll throw it to you, um, you know, Tonight was a movie. For, tonight was a movie for Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, and you know I'm glad the Bruins made it a game because obviously they started very poorly. They gave up two goals in the first five and a half minutes. Uh, you know, then another in the first minute of the second period, and you're like, you know, we really haven't seen them have that just complete off night, that you know, total no show where they're never even competitive, and and it's like. Oh man, like, did did they really save it for the Bruce Cassidy night? Like, is this going to be their no show where they just get their doors blown off? But they did bounce back and they they come all the way back and and tie it 3 3, force overtime, get a point. Um, Had a chance to win in overtime, had a power play, uh, couldn't do it. And, you know, shootout goes. First four rounds, no one scores, and then ends up being another old friend, Riley Smith, who wins it for Vegas. But uh, yeah, that one definitely had to feel good for Bruce Cassidy. Uh, he got at the first TV timeout, he gets his video tribute on the Jumbotron, um, a nice ovation from the crowd. I think I heard like very, very, very few boos mixed in, but for the most part, it very warm reception, lots of cheers. Um, who was that, Don and Cam booing them? <laughs> <laughs> it was coming from the ninth floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't hear any boos though. I, I like, I, I heard know. just a couple, yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and he acknowledges it, he, he gives a wave and was clearly pretty emotional. I think the TV cameras caught him. Not quite crying, but you could be like kind of on the verge, you know, clearly emotional. Um, and then after the game, he said, you know, yeah, it was emotional. He, he said he thought he was about to get emotional again at talking about it after the game. And, and he didn't. He he kept it together. But well, well, uh, the, it was the classic like roll out of it with a joke so that I don't make myself yeah. cry. Like that's how I cope with like if I feel like I'm gonna cry, just like crack a joke real quick, make myself laugh. Let's not let's not do this. Yeah. Um. And you know, I mean, we'll get into obviously into the Bruins side, but obviously a, a great win for Vegas to come in and beat the best team in the NHL without. Their star center, Jack Eichel, was out. Um, he's day-to-day with a lower body injury and and really sucked for him not being able to play because, obviously, from Chelmsford, went to BU. He hasn't played in Boston in three years. December 2019 was the last time he got got a chance to play in Boston. Obviously, he had you know basically two seasons derailed by injuries. Um, so he's out. 
Vegas also doesn't have the number one defenseman, Alex Petrangelo, uh, who's out with out for personal reasons. And uh, they still come in and get, and get the win. And, you know, we knew the home winning streak was going to end eventually. They weren't going 41-0 at home. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, like, this kind of felt like a, a fitting way to end. Like, they, they still you know, made it a respectable a night. They didn't, they didn't, yeah, they got a point. They didn't get their doors blown off. Um, and it came against a good team. Came against a team with the best record in the Western Conference. I felt like once you, like, they had another three goal comeback and you're just like, okay, well, they're going to win. When they had that come from behind, like they tie it, like Hall's goal. Um, I'm just thinking like, wow, somehow they're going to find a way to win this one too because, you know, they just do it. They And when they got down three to nothing, Scott was like, I hope no one left after or tuned out after they got down by three. And I, and I was like, they should, people should know better at this point than to tune out when they're losing because I remember the Pittsburgh game, they were well behind and playing like crap and then they ended up winning in overtime. And then this one goes to overtime too. So um, they're never out of it. Um, even though they lost and it, it ends the, the streak, they still get a point out of it. They, like Scott said, they didn't look terrible and there's still positives. Like you could take away from it because they had a really, really slow start. I thought that I thought honestly that Montgomery should have mixed things up earlier. Um, when they gave up that second goal in the first period, I was just like, something looks stagnant. Like they just like their forward lines could have used shaking up earlier. In my opinion, that second line started out really, really slow. Um, Krejci did not have a a really good first period and part of the second period. Um, I was looking at the stats. Well, first of all, Pasternak and Krejci were on the ice for two of those three goals. Um, they st- didn't have a lot of time offensively. And part of the reason was because Krejci in the beginning of the game could not want to face off. I think by like midway through the second period, w- which was when he turned it around, he was only like 33% at the dot. He didn't have a great game to start. Um, and that led to that line really not getting a lot of chances. And I was really hoping actually Montgomery move Pasternak up with Bergeron earlier. It just seemed like one of those games he was going to need to. Eventually he does, but mostly just saved that for the end of the second period, like that last minute of the second period and then into the third period. He kept it like that most of the way. Um, But it felt needed tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think they had a – the second period, I thought the Bruins carried play. I thought they carried play for the majority of the third thought the last seven or eight minutes, it was fantastic back and forth hockey after the game was 3-3. For me, you know, you have to question why they got off to such a sluggish 20 minutes considering that they were playing Bruce and they were playing Vegas. It was obvious that Vegas was going to be ready to go at the drop of the puck. Um, you know, I, I, to be fair, yes, Bruce knows the Bruins' tendencies, and uh, I think that was part of their troubles early on. But, you know, I didn't love their start. I thought it was, I thought that was concerning. Yes, they ended up outshooting Vegas pretty much two to one over the course of 60 plus. But, yeah, it just goes to show you can't – great resolve to come back and tie the game. But you can't get yourself down against good teams because you end up chasing the game as opposed to, you know, being in a driver's seat. And, and that's not a recipe for success. Um, 
come springtime. And I, I bring spring, springtime up because Vegas is a playoff-style team. Uh, they play solid team defense. So, um, yeah, Krejci, I didn't think he had his skating legs. Uh, I almost felt like he looked like he was sick. I don't know that he just seemed a little bit off and behind. I don't think he was because especially at the end there, they're playing him on like an all forward power play unit and they're playing him in overtime. But like for a second, I was questioning like maybe he's just like sick because he was off. Well, I think it's, I think when he skated by Vegas's bench and saw Bruce staring at him, he got a little, little tummy ache. That's probably what that was. But uh, same with Dabrowski. I think he was a little under the weather too. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Some of those guys look gun shy in the first period. Like, like, like they're waiting for him to correct something that they did after after a shift. It was kind of, it was kind of funny. I don't want to ramble too much, Scott. I mean, what, what were your what were your thoughts on the uh, the opening twenty for them? Yeah, I mean, just just not good. Like, just wasn't ready to go at all. Um, the turnover by Pasternak in the second goal. It was like, yeah, Vegas was you know, forechecking well and disrupting the Bruins breakout. But I don't know like what on earth Pasternak's looking at there or why he thought that was open. Like he just gave it right to um Jonathan Marcheseau. Uh goes in alone, gets two whacks at it. Swayman makes the first save. Um and he buries the rebound. Uh the first goal, you know, I think Carlo lost a couple battles on that shift. Um, and the kid, Paul Cotter, he's the one who moves up to the top line with Eichel out. He ends up getting two of Vegas's goals. Um, and then the, you know, okay, so you weather that, you get into the intermission and two nothing. And then to come out and give up a goal in the first minute of the second period, it was like, especially the way they gave it up where, it was Cotter and Stone who kind of combined on, on the play, and Cotter comes in with just, like, all the time and space in the world. Basically walks from the blue line to the slot untouched, like, completely unharassed. Doesn't even have, like, a stick on him. And it's like, what on earth? Like, you would think it w- things would have been cleaned up after the first, and they would have come back with, like, a little more resolve to start the second. And then, you know, basically the second shift of the period – they, their defense just gets completely shredded. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, credit to them for, for eventually getting on track. But, it, yeah, definitely, like, you do wonder, like, what, how that how it happened that they got off to such a poor start and then came out after the first period and, you know, still didn't have it to start the second. Um yeah, you know, it, they haven't done it often. They they've they've had a couple slower starts, but for the most part they've been pretty good in the first period. So, I think you chalk it up as an off night as long as it doesn't become a trend. Um but to your point, like you would have thought this was a game they would have been would have been up for, ready to go and and you know, yeah, so Cassidy knows them, he knows how to disrupt them. But I didn't think that was like the entire reason for for their first period i thought they were just playing poorly on their own regardless of of what the opponent was doing yeah by the way just to like when when cotter scored that second goal i was like i gotta look this kid up because he's someone that i've not really heard of too much and 
this was only his 24th career game. I mean, he's still young. He's 23, but he played a majority of last season in the minors. He gets elevated. I mean, obviously it helps me get elevated to the first line. Um, but it was just, he had two goals the whole season coming into the game and scored two goals in the game. So he doubled his whole season's worth of goals just tonight. Um, and a few, a few points that you guys said earlier um, about like the playoff style team. Um, Montgomery said it did feel like a playoff game um, and, and like acknowledged that the building was very loud. Um, it just kind of, it, it did have a playoff game feel to it. The building has been loud a lot this year, which is, which has been nice. Um, but yeah. And, and an, another thing um, just a note on, Taylor Hall, because I forget what you guys said earlier, but it reminded me that um, Hall, I think it was getting into the hole. Hall was like, yeah, that was, that was it for us. Like we knew we could come back, but when you put yourself in a hole like that, like that, you know, you're you're pretty much setting yourself up to lose. So um, he acknowledged that after the game. And he said that he thought they had like a prime chance to finish the game in overtime when they had that four on three when DeBrus drew the penalty. And once again, they went to that a four, like an all forward power play unit. Um, and he said, I thought that was really our chance to win it. And, um, you know, that was a, a missed opportunity for them. Which wasn't even really a penalty, by the way. That was, no, a, it that wasn't. was a very I, soft call. When I came back home, I caught the end of the game again. And I saw that and I didn't think that that was really too much of a, of a call. But um Anyway, you do either way, they get the power play and they weren't able to capitalize on it the way that Hall did in the in the third period when he tied things up on the power play at the very end of the five on three. Like it almost like in my book was still a five on three because the player coming out of the box wasn't in in any position to defend yet. So um, it was like a few seconds after that. So technically they didn't end up with a power play (laughs) left over after it, but um you know game tied anyway uh and you usually want to see that kind of um you know outcome when you get a five on three so um that was an opportunity they didn't let pass them up yeah and if it wasn't for a uh, breakaway save by Swayman when the game was three nothing on I think it was was it Riley Smith or Mark Stone I forget who it was but um I mean that game could have been four nothing and then you're really talking about a hole you can't get out of so um, as far as the um, – I, I, I've talked with you guys about this before. I, I don't love the all-forward look on the power play. I don't care if it's four on three or five five on three. I, I just – I get it. Like, I know Krejci can make plays. I know they can all make plays. I just I, I just think they try to be a little bit – I don't know. It, Krejci tries to get too cute sometimes at the top, and then they when they do dump the puck down the ice, he takes a sweet-ass time back there getting it, and it's just like – Give me McAvoy, get some tempo up there, or, or Lindholm, or somebody. Um, one thing I wanted to I wanted to comment on too, guys. It's I've noticed this year, and it's something I've commented on in the past as well. Like one common theme I've noticed in games or periods where the Bruins just don't look sharp, it starts in your own end, and it starts with transition. And I've said this a million times. I'm gonna keep saying it if they keep going against my goddamn word. Um, Please, please, please keep Carlo away from Lindholm. I understand the, the the thought process of splitting up Lindholm and McAvoy, especially against really deep teams, even though they had some injuries. Vegas did. Just don't put Carlo with Lindholm. 
I he takes he takes a lot away from his transition game. And if you notice in the first period, the Bruins couldn't break the puck out. They couldn't do much of anything. And I just think that it's one of those situations where if you have the optimal D pairs together, whether it's Lindholm with Clifton or Lindholm with McAvoy, it just helps move the puck better, especially when you're sluggish. And I, I think the Bruins try to get Carlo involved in the top four and, and split up their, t- their two top defensemen. That's fine. Just don't have him be with Carlo because it takes away from what makes the Bruins so good this year, which is their transition from defense to offense. Otherwise you're just like most other teams. So I don't know. That was my two cents too. I, I noticed that the, like from the beginning until part, even the whole game, just in smaller doses later on, the transition game was not as good as it normally was. They were, you know, making turnovers at the blue line there or in the neutral zone. They, they weren't getting clears. They, they had a hard time with their transition game. And that's part of the reason why they ended up in the hole. Um, yeah, it did it, get it did get better though. I it mean, got like, better, but there was still time. Yeah, it got better. It it got cleaner. There were still times they were they didn't look great in transition, but it did get better throughout the game. And to your point about Carlo Lindholm, I didn't. I mean, they didn't start the game with that like line chart. Like technically, like how how things started out was you know it was Grizzlick. And Carlo, um, which isn't as bad an option, but I agree. I actually would rather have Lind- Lindholm, Clifton, Carlo, Forbert. Um, just try it. Just, I mean, they're two big guys, so that's you. You worry about that, but um, when they were out there together, they they looked they looked okay. There, that's a pair that's not going to be great in transition, but at least you know what you can expect, and it's not like like you said pulling Lindholm's game that that aspect of his game down yeah i mean honestly like for now i would just stick with lindholm mcavoy grizzly carlo like i didn't think there was really anything wrong with that when they've been rolling with it the last couple games um and obviously we know what forber and clifton can do to can do together um to your point though like i i think it's because montgomery doesn't want to use that forward Carlo pairing maybe he will at some point but I think he he wants more mobility than that on on all three pairs um so that's you know so if you're not gonna have Lindholm McAvoy together and you are gonna split them up whether it's for matchup purposes or just changing things in game because you think something has to change if if you're not gonna go if you're not gonna give forward Carlo a shot then your only option is Grizzly McAvoy, Lindholm, Carlo, um, which you're, it, it kind of reminds me. It's not quite the same, but it reminds me of like when McAvoy was with Forbert last year, where it's like, all right, like it's not bad. Like the, the results could still be fine but you know, you're not maximizing McAvoy like having forward next to him just wasn't the way to get the best out of, out of McAvoy's game. And I think Brian, you're spot on. Like it's the same thing here where it's like, okay, can Lindholm Carlo hold their own? Can they survive? Like, sure. I mean, they're, they're two pretty smart players. They're not going to do too many stupid things but you're definitely not maximizing Lindholm in that pairing, at least not the way they've been playing. Maybe 
you know, I don't know, maybe Carlo picks it up, maybe can get more going in transition, but we haven't seen that much when, you know, what Carlo's done well this year is he's defended well. And, you know, first goal tonight aside, uh, as, you know, as I already said, he did get lose a couple battles on that shift. That was just a, a bad shift for him. Um, for the most part, he's been really solid defensively. But yeah, you put him on a pairing that, or you put him with someone who wants to move. And, um, you know, at least him and Lindholm haven't quite found that chemistry yet. Grizzly is someone who also wants to move that Kylo's played more with. And I think they, they have a little bit of a better understanding of each other. And, you know, Grizzly obviously isn't going to be the same with Carlo as he is with McAvoy, but I think Grizzly still has found a way to be effective and do what he does best um, playing with Carlo. So that's why, like to me, I would just stick with that and and have your your super number one pairing with Lindholm and McAvoy, and then basically two pairings that are second pairings or two slash threes and depending on how the game's going or, you know, what the matchup is. Uh, some games, Grizzly Carlo plays more. Some games, Forbert Clifton plays more. I feel like, I feel like the reason, and you might think I'm trying to make a joke, but I'm really not. Uh, Carlo played with Krug in Grizzly, and you're right. He seems to play fine with them, and they are really good skaters. Krug is a great skater. Grizzly was a great skater. But I think there's a difference between being a deep partner with a great skater who is, you know, under six feet tall and being with really good skaters like Lindholm and McAvoy, who are, you know, six, two, six, three, six, four, like their strides are that much longer, but they, but they're as good of skaters as Krug and Grizzly. So it's almost like when he's, even though Krug and Grizzly were great skaters, Carlo could kind of keep up with them in a sense, because he had those longer strides where is when he's out there with Lindholm, he's not out striding Lindholm and Lindholm can skate like the wind, like those other guys could. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic, despite those guys being good skaters. Um, but yeah, it's just like for me when I watch Carlo and Lindholm together, it's like uh, it's like I'm watching Mean Girls when Gretchen Wieners keeps saying "fetch" and Regina George is like, "Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Just stop trying to make Carlo Lindholm happen. It's just not going <laughs> to happen. They just don't think the game on the same level. They don't have continuity. It's just not there." Well, to that point, one thing I would say is. Um, just because of the, like, the way you put that reminds me of last year, early in the season, Grizzly and Carlo were terrible together early on last season. Like, I think at one point they were getting outscored nine to one at five on five when they were on the ice. And I think I, I either wrote something or said it on here about how like Cassidy needs to keep Grizzly and Carlo apart and like, just, just give up on it. Well, he, he went away from it for a while for like probably a month or two. And then went back to in the second half and they were much better together. Like, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can come back to something later on and it works better. And like, we see that with Hall and Coyle. Now they didn't have chemistry last year and now they look better together. Um, And once again, it it adds up too because you're talking about a similar situation where Lindholm is new and you know, Carlo, it takes a little bit of time, like he to adjust maybe to that, the way that, Hall and Coyle weren't familiar with each other um, until Hall came over and it took some time. Yeah. Just to, to put some numbers on this quick trip to a uh, stats corner. There we go. Lindholm, Carlo, 
basically even in terms of Corsi, 3-3 in terms of actual goals, 46.9% of expected goals. Like, that's not great. Then you look at Grizzly Carlo this year, 54.4% Corsi, 6-2 Bruins in actual goals when they're on the ice, and 63.3% of expected goals. Like, that's a good defense pairing. I I don't see any reason to keep trying to change that. Well, Lindholm, was, Lindholm McAvoy Lindholm, has been successful. Lindholm Clifton, wasn't Lindholm Clifton doing pretty decent numbers as well? Yeah, Lindholm Clifton was really good together. They um, Bruins outscored opponent have outscored opponents eight to one with Lindholm Clifton on the ice. I mean, I'm cool with them going back to that. I I just know that that whole Forbert Carlo situation is what keeps it from. I don't know. I don't know why they're so afraid of it. I really don't either. And Clifton, by the way, Clifton hasn't played the same, but not next to Lindholm and Lindholm's not Lindholm's numbers have come back down to earth as well. Um, They had good chemistry. They played well with each other. Clifton's, you know, fast. And we saw the offensive side of his game really pick up this year when he played with Lindholm. So, and you, you know what I noticed today too, Clifton was getting some of the highest minutes on the team. Um, when McAvoy was out and it was Lindholm Clifton and he had the fewest minutes for any defenseman tonight, I believe. Yeah. He only had 14 and a half minutes. Um, and you know, you've seen his time just drop off and I just feel like they could make more use of him than they, than they have been. Yeah. I just, I just come back to like, I'm just not going to overthink this right now. I look at it and Lindholm McAvoy has been a good pairing. Grizzly Carlo has been a good pairing. Forbert Clifton has been a good pairing. You have three good pairings. I don't, I don't know why I'm trying to change that, but God, it's our job, bro. Don't take our job away. We're all going to be unemployed. I'm with, I'm I'm with you though, Scott. Like it's, it's again, when you're off to a 20 and three start, I don't understand why, you know, you're, over over analyzing how you want to match up against other teams like you i don't know we, we've, we've talked about it plenty for this episode i suppose i think uh i think we're all on the same page i just i'm i i just don't need to see carlo and uh carlo and and lindholm i think there's um, literally way better options there's multiple different options carl uh mcavoy lindholm or mcavoy grizzly and carlo and forber and clifton and lindholm just anything about what we've talked about so but Carlo did factor in on the Bruins' first goal. 